Silence is awkward, isn't it? It's uncomfortable. Especially when you expect someone to say something. We typically do, do not ride in our automobiles in silence. In many homes, some sort of noise is always going on. Even if you're not watching the television, you might have it on or some music playing if you're doing household chores. Silence is very awkward for many people. And it's uncomfortable. Especially when you expect somebody to say something. And the silence is most awkward and most uncomfortable when you expect God to say something. I was up here quiet for 60 seconds. And as I observed the reactions, now some people didn't know because they were asleep. (laughs) But the reactions were somewhat curious. Some people were looking at their neighbor because you expected me to say something. That's what I'm up here for. I'm up here to to share, hey, here's some things that I've studied and been preparing. Here's some insights from Scripture. And since you expected me to say something, there was a sense of what is he doing? When I was down here watching the video, it wasn't awkward then because you didn't expect me to say something then. But up here you expected, let's get on with it. It was awkward and uncomfortable. Marissa read some verses earlier about how Israel thought God had forgotten them. I mentioned at the beginning of the service that that awful Saturday after Jesus was crucified... The disciples saw nothing happening. They, didn't, they couldn't go to the tomb and feel the stone and say, wait a minute. Something's going on in there. They thought nothing was happening. It's a pattern all the way through Scripture. Abraham and Sarah waited 24 years after God's promise that they would have a son through whom as many descendants as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore would come. And 24 years they waited, and during that time, God appeared to be doing nothing. Maybe you have thought God was doing nothing. Maybe he, was appeared, maybe he appeared to be silent when you were looking to him for answers. Mary and Martha are very similar to that situation. Would you open your Bibles, please, to John chapter 11? The passage that we are going to read today is quite lengthy. And so as I was working on and organizing the message, I've decided what I'm going to do is just read through the Scripture and make a little comment every now and then and then try to summarize some main ideas at the end. In John chapter 11, beginning in the very first verse... John wrote for us, Now a man was sick, Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. They were brother and sisters. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with, perf- anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. And it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sisters sent a message to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. 
When Jesus heard it, he said, This sickness will not end in death, but is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after that, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. Now at this point, fellows, we're going to drop down just a little bit into verse 11. In, In the next part, the disciples say, Jesus, the last time we were there, they tried to kill you. If we go back now, they are going to kill you. We don't need to go do that. But then verse 11 says... He said this, and then he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm on my way to wake him up. Then the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will get well, he will wake up. They thought Jesus literally meant that Lazarus was asleep, taking a nap. Verse 13 says, Jesus, however, was speaking about his death, but they thought he was speaking about natural sleep. Jesus then told them plainly, Lazarus has died. I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe, but let's go to him. Then Thomas, Thomas a lot of times gets a bad rap. What is the adjective that is always put in front of Thomas's name? Doubting. Thomas is the courageous one here. He spoke up and he said, look, if Jesus is going and they kill him, we are going with him. We're not abandoning him. We are going with Jesus. And so Thomas said, hey, let's go with him. Verse 17 says, when Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. I'm going to say more about that later, that Martha was a little more proactive here. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Jesus, we sent word to you. We told you when Lazarus was sick, and we said he was really sick. You did not come. If you had gotten here in time, then Lazarus would still be living. He wouldn't be dead. Verse 22, yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Martha's thinking about the end of history. She said, we're all going to rise again. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? I I picture Jesus maybe even uh, cupping Martha's Martha's face in his hand saying, do you believe this? I know that I'm asking you to take a big step. Do you believe this? Verse 27 says, Yes, Lord, she told him, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who comes into the world. Having said this, she went back and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. As soon as Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw that Mary got up quickly and went out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to cry there. They didn't know she was going to see Jesus. They thought she's going to the cemetery. As soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Exact same wording as Martha used. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. 
Where have you put him, he asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some said, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? They, these people were saying, we've seen Jesus perform miracles. He has opened blind people's eyes. He has, he has healed lame people's legs. He has cast demons out of people. He really loved this man. Look at him. He is torn up emotionally. Why didn't he do something? He could have healed him. Couldn't he have? Verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, there is already a stench because he has been dead four days. That, word for, that Greek word for stench refers to junior high boy's room. <laughs> there is already a stench because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this so that they may believe you sent me. In other words, Jesus was having a private conversation with his father, but he was having it out loud because he wanted the people to know Something big is about to happen, and it's because of this dynamic between the Father and me. After he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, bound hand and foot with linen strips and his face unwrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to him, unwrap him and let him go. Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus Please come, Lazarus is sick. And not only did Jesus not come, he didn't even come taking a leisurely place, a leisurely pace. He waited two days to be sure that Lazarus would die. And when Mary and Martha encountered Jesus after he finally did arrive, they both complained to him, Lord, this is your fault. If you had just come when we sent, Lazarus would be living now. He would be sitting in this room enjoying a meal with us. Why didn't you do something? We asked you to do something. And you didn't even send us word that you were coming. You didn't tell us ahead of time, I'm going to let him die so that I can come raise him. Jesus, you stayed silent. I want to share three ideas that I think this passage teaches us. They for sure have been meaningful to me over the past month and a half as I've been studying and preparing. First, God cares when we hurt. Look at what the Bible tells us. John wanted to be sure that we did not miss this detail. Verse 3. So the sisters sent a message to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. This is not an anonymous stranger. This isn't someone that you just happened to have seen somewhere along the way. Not an acquaintance. Jesus, this is someone you love. We are in trouble. Please come. Verse 5. John echoed it. 
Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. Then look in verse 11. He said this, and then he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, and I'm on my way to wake him up. Down in verse 33. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved. He was not apathetic. He wasn't distant. He wasn't cold. He wasn't aloof. He was deeply moved. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Verse 36, the crowd around recognized. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. Verse 38, then Jesus deeply moved again. Never believe the lie. That God does not care. When we are wandering through the silence. Asking God, why will you not do something? Do you see how consistently we have prayed this prayer? Do you know how long we've been asking you? God, why won't you do something? Never, ever believe the lie. That God does not care about our circumstances. And about us as we face them. Now, the, the verses that I specifically read said Jesus loved Lazarus. The people observed it. So, so John did not want us to miss that Jesus really did love Lazarus and Mary and Martha. But, but something about the way that Jesus responded communicates even more deeply about his love. When Martha came out and attacked him, Lord, this is your fault. If you would have been here, it's not our fault. We sent word to you. We gave you plenty of time to get here. In fact, you could have sent, uh, said the words back there and healed. You've done that before too, you know, Jesus. Jesus did not lash out at Martha. He did not say, how dare you speak to me that way? Do you not understand that I am the living Christ? Nobody speaks to me that way. He answered her gently. And Mary used the exact same sentence. They may have rehearsed it together. What are you going to say? That's what I'm going to say. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And again, Jesus was very gentle. Those of you who have children may remember during their infancy, they did a lot of screaming. They would get hungry. They cared not at all for your sleeping schedule. Regardless of what you were doing, when they had a need, when they had a desire, they immediately let you know that. When you walked into the room, you did not say, now let me tell you something, young man. We operate here on a structure in our family. And I know you're only three months old, but you need to get on board. You need to understand, here's how we work. Mommy, mommy sleeps, and so you don't wake her. Daddy is not getting up, so you don't bother. Between these hours, you remain completely quiet. No! Moms and dads, when, when their children need something, when they are hurting, when they are crying, when they are empty, they respond, even if the child is incredibly selfish. Because they know the baby needs care. 
God is that way with his children. We may be wailing and crying, saying, God, do you not see me? Do you not care? He says, I do see you, and I do care. Our faith, listen to this. Our faith is unique among every religious system in the world in this way. In many ways, but in this way. God not only sees our pain, he not only notices it, he not only acknowledges it, God shares our pain. Jesus was deeply moved. Jesus wept. When we do not understand what God is doing, we can hold on to the fact that he cares. The second idea that I want you to see is that God has a plan and he's always working on it. This circumstance did not catch Jesus by surprise. He wasn't figuring out what he was going to do along the way. Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. In fact, you can see in verse 4, when the news, or when the news came, Jesus already was looking at the end at the beginning of the story, he said, this sickness will not end in death, but it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Jesus said, now men, look, Lazarus is sick right now, but, but the end of the story is going to be something that you guys don't know. I've got a plan and I am working on it right now. I'm going to delay going to give Lazarus time to die so that when he's in the tomb, I can say the word and he will come out. That's the plan that is going on. So, in this story, I've got to hurry on here, but in this story, part of what Jesus was doing was to say, I don't want to heal Lazarus, I want to raise Lazarus. And so there are some pieces that have to get into place. In our circumstances, very, very often, God is saying, I know what you're asking me to do. I hear your prayers. I know what you want, but I have something different that I want to do. And until those other pieces are in place, I can't do what I really want to do. And so just give it some time. So sometimes part of what God is doing is he is allowing circumstances to unfold so that we can see, oh, that's what he was doing. But part of, that's only part of what Jesus was doing here. There were two other parts of Jesus' plan. One is he wanted Martha and Mary to learn to pray this prayer. Not my will, but yours be done. We, by nature, are powders. We, by nature, want people to cater to us and if they don't cater to us, then we begin to pout. Part of the struggle that God has to work through in our lives is to teach us this world is not about you. It's about me, God says. And so the silence is partly to teach Martha and Mary my will be done. Look at verse 6. 
This is, I, I really had not, I, as many times as I had read this chapter, I had not seen this until last week. Verse, let's back up to verse 4. When Jesus, well, no, I'm going to take that. Jesus knows that Lazarus is sick, right? Jesus no, knows that Lazarus is sick. The word has gotten to him. So look in verse 6 with me. So, when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Now, the word so is a resultive word. It is a, is a, it is a word that is linked to before. We say so because there is a because. For example, I was hungry, so I ate a snack. It's the result of that. I was really tired, so I went to bed earlier. I was sleeping during Gary's sermon, so my wife elbowed me. The word so is a link, right? Do you understand what I'm saying? The word so is specifically because of this, he did this. Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick. And it's not, and he waited two more days. Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, so he waited two more days. To say this world operates on my time schedule, my agenda, not yours. Part of the silence that we experience when we are lifting our lives to Jesus is to learn the lesson of surrender. To say, Lord, this world does not revolve around me. And I'm pouting because you're not catering to me. And he says, you can keep pouting. Remember I said we were, going, we were going to come back to something. Martha immediately raced out to where Jesus was. You might remember in Luke chapter 10, Martha was the one scurrying around the house, getting everything ready, and Mary was just sitting there, teach me more, Jesus, teach me more. And Martha was irritated by that. Martha, perhaps because she had waited all that she was going to to unload on Jesus immediately goes out to where he was. But Mary did not go out to where Jesus was. And Jesus did not go to where Mary was. I think it's verse 28. Having said this, she went back and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. Jesus did not go to where Mary was. He said, Mary, you can come here. Sometimes God has come as far as he's going to come in our lives until we make the next step. Part of what he teaches us in silent times is that we must surrender. Not my will, but yours be done. And then there's a third part of the plan. He was also teaching Mary and Martha to trust him. He assured them, look, I know what's happening. I know what's going on and I know what I'm going to do. What do you think Mary's, Martha's, and Lazarus's, Lazarus's response would be the next time they faced a big challenge? Hey, we've, we've already come through Lazarus dying and rising again. Jesus has got this. He was teaching them to trust him. Just because we don't know what God is doing 
doesn't mean that God doesn't know what he's doing. He's not bewildered. He's not wondering, hey, I don't even know what I'm going to do here. Just because we don't know what he's doing doesn't mean that he doesn't know what he's doing. God may not always do what we want. But he will always do what is best. It's a guarantee. It's not a, oh, I just hope you'll do this. God may not always do what we want, what we want, but he will always do what is best. And real faith is learning to trust, to trust God when we don't understand him. It's easy to trust God when everything is going the way that you want it to. Oh, I love God so much. What a wonderful God he is. God, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. When everything is the way that we want it to be, trusting God is very easy. When you wake up and it's your day to get pictures made at school and your face is not broken out, God, I love you so much. When your, when your sports team is winning and, and you, you like going into grocery stores, you know, wearing your shirt because your, your team is won, it's easy to trust God. Then when, you, when you've been listening to the radio and you say, man, I have not heard a Luke Bryan song in three weeks. God, you are really coming through for me. Thank you, God. When everything is going the way that you want, trusting God is very easy. But that's not real faith. Real faith is saying, God, I don't understand what you're doing. And what you are doing, if anything, I don't like. But I will trust you anyway. I don't remember where I read this quote, but it has been incredibly pivotal for me through my whole life since I read it. Faith is not looking through the windshield. Faith is looking in the rearview mirror and saying, oh, that's what God was doing. We often, when we're looking ahead, we can't figure out what's coming in the path. But then when we get past it, we say, oh, I see it now. On the front end, Mary and Martha had no idea. Jesus, why will you not come? But when they saw their brother come out of that tomb, that's what he was doing. We should have known. God always has a plan, and he's always working on it. God cares when we hurt. Third, God's purposes always are bigger than ours. There's not a single occasion when any individual on this planet ever had bigger hopes and dreams for their lives than God has for their lives. Now, they may be different. And sometime, sometimes our definitions of what are big and grand are foolish. And God says, let me work out my purposes because they are always bigger than yours. Always. Mary and Martha did not ask Jesus to come and perform a bigger miracle by healing. They said, come and heal, or by raising him from the dead. They said, come and heal him. And Jesus said, nope, doing something even better. 
doing something that years from now you will be able to rely on and say, man, he overcame that. He can overcome this. I've often wondered about how this story kept getting passed down. I wonder if there might have been some people who, let me see where it is here. There in the last part of verse 34, Jesus asked, where have you put him? And then some people said, Lord, come and see. You come with us, we will take you. I wonder after Lazarus was raised from the dead and people were saying, have you heard what happened out at the cemetery? And somebody stepped in and said, I showed him where the tomb was. I took him down there. Jesus didn't know. I was right. No, you didn't. I showed. You got lost along the way. No, I'm the one who showed him. And then there was the part, uh, point when Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. And the Bible says, the dead man came out bound hand and foot with linen strips. And Jesus said, unwrap him and let him go. I can picture people saying, you know, I took his face off. I started unwrapping at the top. Jesus' plans are bigger than ours and often give other people the opportunity to be in the big things he is doing. When Jesus says you can be a part of the work that I am doing, that is life's greatest privilege. Say, Lord, your purposes are bigger than mine. Help me to be a part of them. I hope that you can tell by my actions that what I'm about to say is true. I hope that I don't have to tell you, but I'm going to tell you. Serving Jesus Christ is life's deepest fulfillment. I love this church. This is not an extra paycheck for me. I don't look at the last minute and say, well, I'll just do this. I put my heart into what's going on here because I want to be part of what God is doing. And when we say, Lord, that's what I want for me too. I want to be a part of the big plans. God said, well, you just come along with me. I know that silence is awkward. It's uncomfortable. We would much rather have God spell out for us, here's exactly what I'm doing, here's the timetable, this is what I'm going to accomplish, here's how I'm going to accomplish it. He rarely does. But what he does is better. And we need to learn to trust him. Philip and Jackson are going to come and lead us in a closing song. And perhaps there are people here today who need to respond in some way to what God has said. I always like to to include this part. No one is born a Christian. No one is born just because of your family being a follower of Jesus Christ. Each person must surrender individually. To the cross where Jesus died. Say, Jesus, you took my place. And as you were dying, Becky talked about this morning, you took my sins upon you. And by surrendering to you, I can be forgiven. There may be someone here today whose next step is a first step to say, I want to begin following Jesus. If so, I'm going to be standing right here at the front to pray.